Hello, and welcome to The Context. My name is Scott Pruitt, and I'm an anchor with News China. With our podcast, we aim to provide insight into the current trends of modern China, allowing you to clearly see what's happening today through a historical lens. famous painting A Thousand Miles of Rivers and Mountains, with a special focus on the continuous mysteries related to the young painter himself. episode, we discussed several issues that cast doubt on the conventional version of how the classic painting, A Thousand Miles of Rivers and Mountains, was created. What is more troublesome is the mystery concerning why the young prodigy, Wang Ximeng, did not leave more of a historical mark, and instead simply vanished into obscurity. In fact, some scholars have asked, did the person Wang Ximeng even truly exist at all? These are indeed the biggest mysteries surrounding this painting, and for over a millennium there have been three basic schools of thought offering speculation on the case. But which idea, if any, is the actual truth has eluded historians to this day? One theory is that when Wang Ximeng was 18 years old, he poured all his abilities and passion into creating the incredible painting. He presented it to Emperor Huizong of the Song Dynasty, which lasted from 960 to 1279, realizing the utmost aspiration of a young artist to be loyal to the monarch and serve the country. In the process of accomplishing his goal, he exhausted himself, thus he fell ill and passed away within two years. Following his death, no more of his works emerged. This viewpoint originates from the postscript written by the Qing Dynasty collector Song Luo, making it the prevailing interpretation to this day. However, Song Luo lived centuries after Wang Ximeng's time, and the source of his claims remains unknown. Even the transition from the given name Ximeng, mentioned in Cai Jing's postscript from centuries before to the inclusion of the surname Wang, remains a mystery and has no clear explanation. Others speculate that Wang Ximeng never existed at all and was actually a pseudonym for the Emperor Huizong himself. There are two pieces of evidence to support this idea. First, Ximeng is only mentioned in Cai Jing's postscript, and there are no records in official history for any such individual. Following the principle of an isolated case is not evidence, if no corroborating evidence is found to support an isolated fact, such a fact can be disregarded. Moreover, the painting is so grand that presenting just this one piece would have been enough to be recorded in history, so why is there no mention of it, not even in Emperor Huizong's own era? Secondly, as mentioned before, the materials used for the painting, whether it's the silk or the pigments, are extremely precious and only affordable by the royal family. Even the paintings produced by the Hanlin Academy during the Huizong era, or those that were painted by artists on behalf of Huizong himself, rarely used such a vast amount of costly materials. Therefore, 
solely based on cost and materials, it's plausible that the true creator could be Emperor Huizong, Zhao Ji. This theory is currently one of the most widely circulated and has gained significant attention. And upon closer consideration, it's not difficult to form one's own judgment. Why, for instance, would Emperor Huizong use someone else's name? Speculators assert that this painting might have been a practice piece created by a young Huizong when his skills were not yet mature, as it shows noticeable imperfections. However, rather than discarding it, he may have casually gifted it to his favored courtier, Tsai Jing. But does it really make sense for Zhao Ji to do this? From a logical standpoint, high-ranking people would be more likely to dispose of it rather than gifting it to someone else and risking embarrassment. On the other hand, if they thought it was good enough, they would eagerly sign their name to ensure its lasting legacy. One fact to include in any theory is this. The artist emperor wasn't particularly skilled in all forms of artistry. In fact, many works attributed to Zhao Ji were in later times confirmed to be partially or even mostly the work of others, with his acknowledgement and seal of approval. It seems he was quite enthusiastic about this. So how could he have missed such a weighty opportunity by not claiming this masterpiece? Even if he felt the painting was a mix of both good and bad elements, he at least found it worth salvaging. And given Huizong's wealth, status, and time, he could have easily made alterations, recut it, or even created a new version. He could have commissioned someone to replicate it, signing it himself confidently. There would be no rush. So why involve Tsai Jing in this dangerous deception and risk exposure? After all, such chicanery could easily go awry. But as history reveals, Emperor Huizong and Prime Minister Tsai Jing do seem to be a rather unlikely pair. Apart from them both having profound artistic abilities, they share a penchant for inconsistency and unreliability in their words and deeds. Emperor Huizong's relationship with Tsai Jing is marked by four appointments as Prime Minister interspersed with three instances of demotion and exile, indicating a tumultuous relationship and general lack of trust. Tsai Jing implemented the Hua Shigong policy, which coerced officials to prioritize the presentation of exquisite gifts and tributes to the emperor. Additionally, he reformed taxation laws related to the trading of tea and salt that inflicted significant hardships on the people and fostered corruption within the government. The third category of speculation is that after Ximeng presented the painting at the age of 18, he received Emperor Huizong's rewards and praise. However, he also realized his own lack of life experience and understanding of society, so he traveled across the realm, gradually sensing the suffering of the people. He witnessed that the citizens he had once celebrated through his art as living in the prosperous Great Song Empire were in reality enduring lives of hardship and displacement. Consequently, the young artist took up his paintbrush again and created a painting titled Starving Corpses Along a Thousand Mile Journey to portray the grim reality he had seen during his travels. This realistic scroll painting was once more offered to Emperor Huizong. However, this time, the more mature artist wasn't seeking to praise the emperor. Instead, he risked his life to admonish the ruler through art. The outcome of such a daring endeavor would undoubtedly have been a death sentence, but it would also provide an explanation for how and why Ximeng's existence was so completely wiped from historical records. This third version of events, however, is the least reliable, lacking any substantial evidence. 
Yet as a folktale, it seems quite entertaining and thus has endured. And it doesn't only apply to Wang Ximeng, as the same legend has been associated with many historical painters, including his contemporary Zhang Ziduan. The legendary and undoubtedly fictional starving corpses along a thousand-mile journey has featured in similar stories throughout various dynasties, but no such painting has ever surfaced, nor any tangible artifacts. So, amid all the speculation, what is the reality? Surely there must be some fact that points us toward the truth, right? Well, it would seem that some mysteries may never be solved. Despite all the speculation, the most widely accepted explanation remains the first one, the account given by Tsai Jing in his postscript. According to this version, the reality is that the young painter Shi Meng, after exhausting his energy, talent, and strength at a tender age, fell ill and tragically passed away not long after his work was completed. After all, throughout Chinese history, even among royal families, it was common for the bright light of promising youth to be abruptly snuffed out by an incurable disease. So is this what happened to Shi Meng? Was he an innocent genius who put everything he had into his art? Or was it a more complicated soap opera involving a young artist who adopted the role of sycophant to gain admission to the emperor's inner circle? Perhaps he was merely a candle sitting too close to the flame, ultimately succumbing to his environment. That's a rather common tale as well, actually. Icarus flying too close to the sun, that sort of thing. And it makes a solid foundation for some powerful drama, if well told. But in fact, Ximeng's story has a somewhat mundane aspect to it, such as how does he eventually get the surname Wang? As mentioned earlier, the materials and pigments required for such a large painting could only come from within the palace, and only the highest-ranking individuals would have access to them. It's difficult to believe that a mere teenage art student, no matter how much promise he showed, could have used such precious materials without restraint. So one might assume that Ximeng was a relative of one of the other principal players in this drama. In Tsai Jing's original postscript, the painter is referred to as Shi Meng, without the surname Wang. And over the course of several hundred years, this Shi Meng could logically be associated either with the surname Zhao or Tsai, because only members of the Zhao royal family during the Song dynasty, or descendants of the Tsai family, would have had the opportunity to enroll in the art school and become the emperor's favorite disciples. Now, Emperor Zhao Ji and Prime Minister Tsai Jing are both documented figures in history, with significant dates and accomplishments, even their reputations, all recorded, along with those of their relatives. Unfortunately, however, upon thorough examination of these records, there is no one corresponding to any individual known as Shi Meng. Moreover, after the fall of the Northern Song Dynasty, the whereabouts of the painting remained unknown. It wasn't until the early Qing dynasty that a prominent collector named Song Luo provided supplementary identification for the re-emerged painting. Song indicated that Shi Meng's surname was Wang and that he was Sai Jing's nephew. If true, this explanation lends some plausibility to how Shi Meng might have been allowed access to such materials. Now that you've heard the most prominent theories as to the mysteries surrounding a thousand miles of rivers and mountains, Feel free to develop your own melodramatic tale. Personally, I'm thinking about the toxic nature of azurite and malachite dust in combination with the typical methods of processing those materials a thousand years ago. Just the thought of it gives a new meaning to the last line of Tsai Jing's postscript, 
As for worldly matters, just create them and be done with it. Well, that's the end of our podcast. Our theme music is by the famous film score composer Rock Chun. We want to thank our writer, Song Yi Min, translator Yu Shogang, and copy editor Pu Ren. And thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, please tell a friend so they too can understand the context.